Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Kai-Fu Lee, the Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Cinovation Ventures and the President of Cinovation Ventures Artificial Intelligence Institute. He's based in Beijing, China. Cinovation Ventures is a leading venture capital firm focused on developing the next generation of Chinese high-tech companies. Prior to founding Cinovation in 2009, Kai-Fu was the President of Google China, and he also held senior executive roles at Microsoft, SGI, and Apple. He's the author of the new book, AI 2041, 10 Visions for Our Future, which we'll cover in some depth in this conversation. I last interviewed Kai-Fu in 2018 after the publication of his book, AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. Kai-Fu, welcome back to Technovation. Thank you, Peter. But first, a word from our partner, Transmit Security, and the company's co-founder and president, Rakesh Lunkar. Transmit Security is a cybersecurity organization that focuses on identity experience and is enabling a secure and passwordless future. They also recently received the highest Series A venture capital investment in history for a cybersecurity company at a valuation of $2.2 billion. Rakesh wanted to share a couple of recommendations for technology and digital executives on how to improve a company's cybersecurity infrastructure. Thank you so much, Peter. First, I strongly recommend to take part of their budget and dedicate it to really innovative companies. It has to be built into the budgets up front so that it serves as a forcing function to really look for new technologies. The the second recommendation is outside of identity. There are two very interesting classes of security technologies that are emerging. The first one is improving the quality of code to make sure that your developers are not introducing software vulnerabilities. The second is cloud security. I think we're in the first inning of hundreds of companies that will be created offering really innovative ways of securing the multitude of problems in the cloud environments. I just want to leave your audience with this last thing. Every single time they have to enter their password, change their password, can't remember their password or any other problems, please remember transmit security. And now on to the interview. Well, uh, Kaifu, I, I wanted to uh, begin by congratulating you on uh, on your new book, uh, uh, AI 2041, 10 Visions uh, for Our Future. Uh, which is is uh, just coming out and a great read. I certainly recommend it to everyone who's watching and listening. Um, I wonder if you could talk, first of all, how did you choose 20 years out as the time horizon? AI is one of these developments where there's all sorts of uh, you know, opinions as to how fast things will advance, uh, you know, how far out the most significant uh, advances will be. And so there is some, some people who are you know, playing, hypothesizing, even investing for many decades out um, why was 20 years uh, an appropriate time horizon from your perspective? Uh, 20 years uh, is a period of time where a lot of things can happen. Think about 20 years ago, there was no mobile internet, no iPhone. Uh, had we, uh, 20 years ago, been given a vision of what we can do today with technology, it would sound quite fantastic. So it's long enough for a fantastic vision to be presented. But it's not so long that people drift into pure imagination on things that are uh, highly speculative. So um, so I wanted to paint that vision in a way that uh, people who don't understand technology can get a sense about what excitement 
and also what dangers um, are ahead. So there is more realistic view of AI uh, as, as opposed to a lot of the misinformed um, or just um, uh, uninformed people uh, uh, because AI sounds complex, but it's, it's really not that complex. And I wanted to tell a 20 year um, out uh, vision. So that's why I picked the number. Uh, I get it. And your co-author on this is Chen Q. Fan. Uh, who is a science fiction novelist. So very interesting uh, choice uh, for a co-author. You and he have very different perspectives uh, uh, that you bring to this. Talk a bit about uh, embarking on this journey with with him. How did you, the two of you, decide to partner on this? Yeah, so I started uh, thinking about writing that vision, but but it looked really uh, boring from a pure descriptive um, form of the vision. And then I thought if this could be done through storytelling, uh, that would be great. And also I saw the impact of the likes of uh, Black Mirror had on people. And I wondered if we could do sort of a white mirror, <laughs> a similar kind of uh, futuristic vision, uh, roughly similar time frame, uh, maybe a little more grounded by scientifically doability. And uh, more constructive, um, as opposed to you know too much dystopia. So that was the original thought. Uh, and then I thought of a former Google uh, colleague. We both actually worked at at Google. Uh, he was uh, in uh, sales, uh, but and he has a uh, a background. He was uh, I think the one of the uh, top uh, people who got into Beijing University uh, in the literature department. And he, he has become, since leaving Google, we left around the same time, but since leaving some 10, 10 years ago, he's uh, completely had a change of career and become one of the top uh, science fiction writers in China. And um, so I thought uh, we already know him. He's a good person. He understands technology reasonably well. And, um, but I wasn't sure if a science fiction writer would be willing to be constrained uh, by me in the sense of not writing uh, using any technologies that wouldn't be doable in 20 years. But, um, but he happily agreed. And, and we both have a constructive outlook on the future of humanity. And uh, it just uh, really clicked. That's very interesting. And you tell, uh, as the subtitle suggests, <laughs> you tell the story in 10 visions. And right. I'd love to get into some of those uh, in a moment. Okay. But how did you come up with the visions? How did you you and uh, Chen Qufan uh, develop uh, what was worthy of the 10 visions uh, uh, at, the, as, at the outset? Yeah. yeah, so we had uh, four goals of mixing into 10 stories. Uh, the, the reason we picked 10 was the publisher said, hey, you gotta have 10 stories. You can't have seven, you can't have 12. It's gotta be 10. So, so that was given. And then, um, uh, so he and I uh, worked on four different constraints. First, I wanted each story to cover some aspect of technology uh, or um, externalities, impact, ben benefits, uh, problems, issues of technology, like you know, computer vision, uh, natural language processing, um, and, and the quantum computing and things like that. So we needed to fit technologies into 10 buckets. Uh, secondly, uh, the technologies had to be ordered from basic to advanced so that the reader can improve his or her knowledge of the technology uh, as, as they read along. A third, I wanted them applied to 10 different industries. So manufacturing, healthcare, 
uh, retail and so on. So people can see how it impacts the, um, all the industries. And lastly, uh, Chiu Fan, uh, my co-author, wanted to make it in 10 different countries so that the cultural diversity makes it clear AI impacts everyone, no matter what uh, country uh, one lives in. So, so we mix these four elements. So it's a very uh, challenging puzzle to fit everything into 10 stories, but, but we did it. Kaifu, uh, there's a lot that has been written about the potential impact of AI on the future of work, the future of jobs, uh, the possibility of it eliminating large swaths of jobs. And you're, you are one certainly who highlights uh, the potential impact of AI uh, in your own work as well. In your book, several of your visions uh, are associated with this theme. I think of uh, Twin Sparrows, uh, Job Savior, uh, Dreaming of Plenitude, three of the 10 visions. Each of them have a commentary on the future of work and jobs. I wonder if you can maybe pull the thread through from across those stories uh, and share some perspectives on what you believe the the role that AI will play in the future of work and the future of jobs. Uh, sure. So my view is that in the short term, <clears throat> we have a serious challenge because AI will do repetitive and routine work and those jobs and tasks will be replaced. So there will be people rotating out of work, looking for new work. So what work will they take on? Uh, what training is needed? That's sort of the short term uh, challenge. Uh, long term, I'm optimistic that we will uh, uh, redefine work in the sense that uh, work ought to be uh, not what fills time and makes us work hard because that's uh, the formula for routine work. But work should be what's satisfying to us and gives us self-actualization, sense of uh, contribution. And how do we evolve towards that? And then the third element is uh, that implies education needed to be changed. So the students should stop memorizing, road learning, and they should be more taught into individualized and uh, becoming uh, creative, uh, compassionate, and good at teamwork and communication, the soft skills, and not as much of the subject matter learning, which AI can beat us. So those were the three elements. So one story, Job Savior, uh, talks about the first element, which is AI job displacement. So routine jobs were becoming displaced at a 20 year horizon, one at a time, you know, entry level accountant, reporter, uh, lawyer jobs are being replaced. Uh, senior people still had a great uh, way to contribute. Uh, but the, the big problem is who will pay for the, uh, for the people who are replaced uh, and, uh, and, and need to be uh, to receive social benefit and, and become retrained. So uh, we created this new um, type of profession called the job reallocator. And their job was to take over all the laid off people from a company and help them find jobs in an individualized uh, matching training uh, kind, kind of way. But one of the challenges they face is uh, people get reallocated the job, then that job gets displaced too. So how do we deal with this continual uh, problem and, and it became such a challenge, plus the issue that in the pyramid of jobs, entry-level jobs are first replaced by AI, uh, entry-level uh, jobs in finance, HR, legal, and so on. Uh, yet, if you remove the entry-level layer, how does anyone advance 
his or her career and become better and become superstars. So the uh, idea that the job reallocators had was, why don't we give people virtual jobs? So they think they're working, but they're not, or they're working modestly and AI recorrects all their work because AI does a better job, but we'll let them work anyway so that they can have a feeling of contribution. Um, at the same time, uh, the, they're being watched for potential of promotion, individualized jobs, and over time, uh, they many will find what they want to do, but the rest, at least they have a feeling that they're doing jobs, not as a permanent solution, but just as a way to control the um, social um, um, uh, dissatisfaction if too many people felt like they were unable to contribute to society. So how? So is that kind of virtual uh, job and retraining uh, work? That's the uh, first part. Uh, in the second point is that we need to elevate ourselves to a different type of work. I think people uh, don't inherently have a need to work as we define it today, but people do have a need for understanding self-worth and seeing contribution and achieving self-actualization. So can we use this opportunity as AI takes over routine work, really help people find in their heart what they want to do? So the last story, Dreaming of Plenitude, is a story of how the society is channeled towards um, having people becoming rewarded as they contribute to making others feel good or contribute to finding a uh, something they're passionate about and can individually uh, make a contribution in. And, and the changes that's required are really uh, a different measure of success, not just in money and, and having good jobs, but also in some new, maybe AI-based currency and reward system. So that's kind of the second direction. And the third one is education. How do teachers and AI uh, work symbiotically to help kids um, discover what they love? And, and, by, and how, do, how, how does that combination through AI as a teacher companion, a, uh, perhaps a virtual reality character uh, that becomes a companion, pal and friend um, and trusted and liked and maybe even loved by the child to be uh, taught things that needed to be taught in the way that is best absorbed. So the child loves basketball. The math problems are rephrased as basketball problems. If the child loves a superhero, then his or her a pal is a superhero and the, the education is gamified. Um, and yet a, a human teacher still exists as a mentor, a coach, and, and someone who programs the AI to, to maximize whatever the child uh, needs individually. So that describes the three elements kind of to move humanity forward. I don't think 20 years would be enough to <clears throat> reinvent education or to to uh, transition currency from money to some other uh, currency. But I think it may be, uh, we can make some progress and, and show the beginning of shift in those directions. And this harkens, uh, even your description harkens uh, lessons that you've talked about the three R's necessary for, for societies mm -hmm. to, to contemplate as they think about the changes that will, will come relative to AI, relearning, recalibrating, and what you refer to yeah. as Renaissance. Uh, I'm hearing echoes yeah. of some of the messages you have there in what you described uh, in those visions. 
Yes. So relearning is uh, learn a new skill set. So what skill sets are needed? Uh, there are uh, creative jobs needed, but maybe not, not that many of them are available. Not everybody can become a super creative scientist or artist or uh, CEO. Uh, however, uh, there were many service jobs needed because AI does not have feeling compassion and people don't want AI to be their uh, companion, health service provider, teacher, um, a nurse, and so on. So retraining into those service jobs is probably the best way to shift the routine non-service jobs into um, still perhaps routine, but uh, human touch jobs. That's the uh, relearning. Um, recalibrate means uh, people need to make a shift in their jobs. Perhaps they need to new, use new tools, Perhaps reporters need to use AI tools to discover stories, um, and uh, perhaps uh, investment professionals need to work with AI on the quantitative elements. So embrace the new AI tools as jobs are elevated to a different level to let people do what they do best and rely on AI for the quantitative. And, and also jobs like uh, you know scientists would rely on uh, AI tools to discover even more drugs. And, and also doctors may become more of a compassionate caregiver, be connecting the, to the patient, winning the trust with AI doing the diagnosis. So that's the uh, re recalibrate. And then lastly, renaissance, it means uh, many new jobs will be created and reinvented. Uh, for the uh, artistic-minded, uh, AI and VR tools will allow painting in 3D spaces and making art that wasn't before possible. 3D printing, similarly, will bring such capabilities. I, I think um, uh, on the more uh, technology side, AI will allow someone to kind of at the top of the food chain program uh, be the programmer of AI and invent kind of the next generation of uh, a human machine, the human human interface. So a lot of new jobs that didn't exist before will, will blossom. And uh, all of these three R's together uh, uh, should definitely provide enough uh, exciting and satisfying work uh, to, to keep us uh, happy and content and feel con contributing. Uh, they may or may not be the same, you know, eight to 10 hours a, a day job that pays money that makes us feel like we've done the work, we got the money, we can feed the family. Um, but, but they're more of, hey, maybe we don't need to worry as much about money because AI has uh, done all the work in the world for almost uh, no marginal additional costs. We can do what we love to do, and we are liberated from routine job, and uh, we can uh, feel we're contributing and making a difference. So that's kind of the three R's to help us through the transition. You also write about a variety of, of externalities, uh, for example, how technology, uh, how artificial intelligence can can be used to shape people's opinions. And there's been a lot that's been written about uh, just this happening. Uh, talk yeah. a bit about some of the, you know, there, there are some threads, again, pulled through multiple of the visions you create, like the Isle of Happiness and the Golden Elephant, uh, which, which leverage some of the ideas related to this. Would you mind sharing some examples of that, please? Uh, sure. Uh, this is probably the biggest concern of AI today 
people are concerned about how um, large uh, internet companies are using all the data and all the knowledge they have about individuals to target individuals with content in the way that helps make them make money, but maybe don't serve to the well-being of the individuals. Maybe the content we're being pushed uh, are addictive, but are no good for us. So how to deal with problems like that. Uh, and on top of that, there is uh, our issues related to privacy and security and uh, fairness, bias, transparency, explainability. So it feels like, wow, AI is really not uh, in a good state to address these issues. So my general view is that uh, we need to put the smart AI researchers' minds on these problems as opposed to uh, complaining about it, uh, not using AI or uh, or have governments regulate AI so much that they, they become uh, useless. Uh, and I think traditionally uh, technology problems are all, almost always primarily solved by technology solutions. When electricity first came out, you know, people got killed being electrocuted, but circuit breakers were, were invented to circumvent that. And um, when PCs were first connected to the internet, viruses were terrible, but um, antivirus software addressed and solved that, uh, Y2K problems and, and so on and so forth. So, so my, my main message is there are potentially technology solutions for these. Uh, for privacy data, personal data uh, issues, there are technologies in an area called privacy computing. Uh, and and they, there are, for example, one technology called federated learning allows us to only have our data in computers and devices that we trust, such as our, our phone, our home server, or maybe a hospital's uh, computer uh, that we entrust our patient record to. And then AI can still be learned over all hospitals, but no hospital releases patient data beyond its servers, but it um, um, builds models that are combined across hospitals. So that's a technological solution that addresses personal data, perhaps in the way that's even better than GDPR and, and, and its uh, uh, descendants. Um, and another example is in bias and uh, fairness. I, I believe AI tools could be built to alert AI researchers and, and engineers that the data is imbalanced. It will cause um, uh, bias problems, just like compilers tell programmers when there are bugs, AI researchers would be informed and warned, or maybe even stopped from building AI that has inherent uh, fairness issues. Uh, and then lastly, on the um, externality problem that's uh, well argued in the documentary, Social Dilemma, um, I think it's really a double-edged sword caused by uh, the objective function. I mean, AI is so powerful because it can, uh, given an objective function, it can maniacally optimize so that it delivers some um, positive uh, number on the objective function, such as maximizing click-through eyeballs revenue. And that's what allows the internet company to take advantage of, um, of us, the users, because it's maximizing its metric, not worrying about our metric. So I believe there can and should be research to look at how to maximize um, uh, long-term benefit to end users, such as uh, was this website or this newsfeed time well spent? Is it making me 
happier, wealthier, or um, more learned as a result. And there are ways these things can be measured and combined along with, alongside with the goal of making money. And then I think if there are uh, either public sector, government, or private sector watchdog that ensures these internet companies are catering to longer term needs of the users, not just maximizing money on a day-to-day basis, uh, that I think would, would go a long way. So those are my technological beliefs and they are manifested uh, in the stories um, <clears throat> in different ways. Uh, in, the, in the first story uh, opening of, of the uh, book, uh, Golden Elephant shows a story of how an insurance company through many apps um, actually bring back a serious racial problem in India that ostensibly was already solved, but the data inherently uh, was able to sort of reverse engineer the caste issues that um, uh, the, the government and the culture and the country solved, but it is still inherent in the society. And AI learned the specific number combinations to try to keep um, two lovers apart because it maximized their insurance situation. Um, and, and that describes the problem um, from, from, from the beginning. And then uh, in some more complex situations, the Isle of Happiness talks about a, um, uh, an emir in the Middle Eastern uh, country who wants to build an objective function to make everything, er, to make everyone in his little kingdom, small kingdom, a small island happy. So various um, uh, sensors were built in to detect when people smile and have the right combination of um, heartbeat and uh, blood pressure and pulse and um, uh, sweat and uh, hormones and endorphin and so on. Uh, and then to, to create stimuli that help people maintain their happiness. And then they discover that that could be done, but maybe that isn't what truly happiness means. So that's a, an, another example of uh, describing how the future might be. What's missing is which technology will work to make complex long-term objective functions. Uh, I feel optimistic that's a uh, fairly constrained problem that in 20 years we can make a lot of progress. So I, I cannot predict which algorithm will work, but it seems like a very positive direction that can use technology to reduce the externalities created by technology. So we don't have to put all the eggs on the regulation uh, bucket and, and hope that breaking up internet giants is the only way to, uh, to achieve uh, uh, um, software that will uh, care about the users. You've highlighted, Kafu, that uh, artificial intelligence is already getting involved in uh, many human resources activities, interview screening, negotiation, hiring, training, uh, employee evaluation. You've talked about how uh, major aspects of finance, legal, sales, marketing can be taken over by artificial intelligence. I've heard you reference that in, in five-year waves, the next five years, many of the repetitive uh, operations or tasks are going to be taken over by artificial intelligence, the next 10 routine activities, and ultimately uh, optimizing activities in the next 15. Can you talk a bit about what some of the, the aspects uh, that need to be introduced in order for those different breaks to happen, the five, the 10, the 15, between repetitive, routine, and optimizing? What's to come that will lead to greater adoption uh, to take over these sorts of, uh, these sorts of tasks? 
Uh, yeah, I think AI will uh, learn to do human tasks when there is data from which to to learn. So um, and and often white collar jobs are replaced before blue collar jobs because white collar jobs can be simulated by software. And I think COVID has demonstrated that when we work from home, corporations are seeing a digit the workload becoming digitized and compartmentalized, and they're starting to see which which individuals and which groups of individuals aren't so much pulling their weight based on their um, uh, workflow. And, and that's and, and when people work from home, uh, the work can be outsourced to lower cost countries. It can also be outsourced to uh, software processes. So, so the, the, the idea is uh, we can see in uh, technology called uh, RPA, uh, um, and, and that's already, um, largely taking over more and more jobs, even though some companies in that space don't admit they're taking jobs, but they clearly are. They're being sold in you know, robots who do the workload of people who do repetitive uh, white collar work. So the more repetitive, uh, the more routine, uh, the, the easier the job is, is, is to replace. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the beginning. And, and then uh, longer term, any job that's um, you know, optimizing, you could say something uh, pretty advanced, like um, uh, a, a quantitative hedge manager, hedge fund manager, or an actuarial expert in an insurance company. That's probably not very easy to replace them in the next five to ten years. But the work they do is quantitative in nature, and and one could also say that basically anybody who picks stocks based on any data that's available, rather than strategic thinking, intuition, or knowing the people, that those jobs are gonna be gone. So we can plot that on the white collar jobs. Uh, in the blue collar job is a little bit uh, different because uh, there's also issues about human dexterity, hand-eye coordination. So when, but however, an AI technologist can easily plot the, all the jobs in a factory, going from starting from visual inspection to moving things around. Uh, you can see already in Amazon warehouse, right? They move, move the shelves already is done by AI. So the feet, the grabbing or the hand is still done by human, but annually the picking contests uh, robots are picking better and better. So those jobs are gonna be gone. So you can almost plot out based on the technological difficulty um, uh, when which jobs will be gone in blue color. And in 20 years, they'll also uh, largely be gone. So that is something we uh, is inevitable. So the retraining um, uh, needs to start as soon as possible. Last time uh, you and I spoke, Kaifu, uh, it was on the heels of your last book, Art Artificial Intelligence Superpowers, AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. And I'm curious, in the past three years, a remarkable three years for a whole range of reasons, you know, how things have evolved, especially in terms of artificial intelligence leadership uh, in various ways between, say, China and the United States. Uh, what sorts of developments uh, have you seen that, that have either continued to, uh, you know, sort of prove your hypotheses versus perhaps some some changes uh, that, have, that have happened across the years as well. Uh, yeah, in my uh, first book, AI Superpowers, I talked about four waves of AI and US having an inherent advantage in some areas and China having advantages in the other areas. And I think that's uh, uh, proving to be true. So if we look at, for example, in enterprise software, COVID has really pushed the US into uh, making work from home work. And, and AI plays a significant role uh, in that. 
because as COVID pushes for the uh, digitization of the workload, AI can be applied to, the, to that digitized data. So we're seeing uh, AI really taking off in the enterprise space uh, in, the, in the US. In China, uh, manufacturing is kind of the most important activity. So robotics in manufacturing is an area that is um, probably pushing China farther ahead. And, and that use of robotics, although simple robotics, uh, is uh, doing work uh, in the factory, but also starting to see that happening in the commercial uh, as well as in the consumer space. So there are uh, smart robotic toys coming out, um, um, dogs that um, look like uh, Boston Dynamic dogs are starting to be sold for very low prices in China. Um, robots deliver my groceries to me within my apartment building. Um, and uh, in restaurants, uh, these uh, robotic waiters are, are coming out. Uh, this is pretty popular. It's uh, probably one out of several, you know, 10 restaurants at the midland and below I go to use some sort of robotic technologies. So robotic is, is big in China. Uh, autonomous vehicles, both countries are still pushing farther. Um, uh, US is probably doing more the Waymo robo taxi style. China is pushing more for uh, trucks and um, uh, buses. So we'll see how that plays out. And healthcare is a big one where both countries are making significant advances, combining it with um, uh, drug discovery um, and uh, smart diagnostics for uh, eye doctor, uh, for using in robotic surgeries, for uses in um, radiology and pathology. So, so healthcare, I think, spans um, both countries and in fact the, the whole world and that's probably the area where i can see the greatest progress and probably even some collaboration across countries because that's something covid has made us uh, suddenly extremely aware and uh, maybe frightened and and also motivated to uh, push for more advances uh, so that we as we care more about our health well kaifu lee thank you so much for joining me today uh, again the book is is uh, AI 2041, 10 Visions for Our Future. Congratulations again on a great work yet again. And it's wonderful to speak with you as always. Thanks for having me.